Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett, as ever, post-World Cup. And we are, as we record... One day away from Man United playing football again uh, in competitive no. action against Burnley. Rob didn't even know it was happening, did you, Rob? I, I always feel like there's a little bit of my brain that can't connect with the League Cup, even when like the season's flowing and the League Cup happens, and my brain just kind of switches off and says, go and do something else. But, yeah, this is a bit more exciting, isn't it? Because it's some real football for Man United fans and that we can talk about. And it's a decent game, isn't it? Burnley? Vincent Company, there's some narratives here to chat about. Not your traditional Burnley lump it long to Chris Wood either. Uh, their football's Much evolved a little bit. Burnley. Bit more yeah. interesting. Uh, yes, uh, United do play in that game with a rotate. I'd imagine it'll be a rotated squad. I think uh, a lot of players at the World Cup coming back late. Lisandro Martinez is probably still having a party. We'll talk about that uh, in a little while on today's show. Uh, we've got a number of things to get into, a bit of transfer talk, looking ahead to uh, the Burnley game. For me, Rob, it's not. I'm not taking club football seriously again until probably after Christmas. I'll, look at, I'll watch this Burnley game and I'll watch City versus Liverpool on Thursday and kind of use it as my easing in. Just hope United don't lose because then I'll get, I'll get moody. What yeah. we'll do is, Scott, we'll bring you back in slowly after the World Cup. You've been out there in Qatar. You need some rest and recuperation. So we'll give you a little bit of a holiday, drop you back in, give you maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes here and there. And then hopefully by Christmas, you'll be up and running again or past Christmas in the new year. And we can start using you properly again at right back. Right back. Well, you know, like Come it, it's, it's, it's a problem position. So, you know, we, we, we'll shift you over from the midfield and, uh, you know, yeah. you being a versatile egg, we'll get you over there and uh, maybe we could get you on a pitch. I was versatile, to be fair. Um, quite quick as well. Maybe we could do a job at right back. I haven't I haven't had a good sprint for a little while, but I, I used to be quick in my day. Don't know how I am nowadays. But yes, uh, let's uh, we're rambling. Let's uh, just a, a word to the listeners and subscribers. If you haven't subscribed, please do. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And you can watch us twice a week as well, Tuesdays and Fridays. Although I think we might do drop a show maybe Thursday this week uh, after United play Burnley. Uh, and with Christmas coming up as well, we might be just, days might be off a little bit, but we won't be, we won't be away. We'll still be around. Uh, head over to our YouTube channel as well. Hit like, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment for us too. And the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. And follow us on Twitter, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob, underscore B, and at Promise Land MU for the show as well. But uh, yeah, top of the show today. Uh, Rob, some some not not nice news. Uh, a quick word from you, Rob, on, on Terry Hall, a massive red who, unfortunately, we've had the news that we've lost. Uh, I know this one's rocked you pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly sad news. Terry Hall, the lead singer of the specials, um, iconic singer-songwriter, someone who meant so much to so many. But in our context here, the show, and Manchester United, a huge United fan, home and away, has been going to games for decades, always known, I said to you uh, before the show, you always used to hear people at Old Trafford or in the way end uh, at United matches where people go, oh, my God, my hero stood over there, Terry Hall. You'd hear that all the time from people. And then, of course, this kind of tragic news we wake up to this morning at 63 that he's passed away. So we just wanted to kind of note it here because 
he was a he was a, a genuine proper huge United fan. Anyone who was anyone at Old Trafford would was always got a Terry Hall story. They bumped into into a pub or saw him out in the street or they sang a special song to him and he kind of gave them a nod and a wink and a thank you. But just uh, just yeah, really shocking. But a, a, an icon of his time. Like again, I think he's going to be one of these people that's remembered in the same way as like Joe Strummer from The Clashes, you know, going forward in years to come, people will go back, revisit the specials catalogue. And the specials, I think today, their music, which was protest music back in the 70s and 80s, and looking at the, that unification of black and white, you know, they were really the only band that did it, you know, bringing it together, bringing in different influences of Scar. Uh, Terry Hall was a trailblazer. And he's always going to remember it as one, but also will be sadly, sadly missed at United matches. Yeah, uh, awful news. Uh, best wishes to and, and love to everyone affected uh, by this awful news. Big loss for the United community as well. Uh, terrible news. And as I say, love and best wishes to everyone. Uh, let's uh, reflect, Rob, on what on Sunday was one of the craziest games of football, I think. I think most of us have ever seen uh Rafa Varan playing I think about 89 90 minutes of the World Cup final uh you know looking I think he'd had a virus last week mm-hmm. and looked like he'd been affected uh a difficult one for him played the entire game Lisandro Martinez did not play but is a World Cup winner uh less Ar- Argentina 3 France 3 Argentina win on penalties what how do you reflect on on that game rob because it was for me like looking at it i watched it on my own at home and was screaming like i think a lot of people that i've heard talk about this game have said i know people who didn't like football or have no business they don't watch football and even they were drawn into it losing their minds at this and i think the entertainment value narratives of Messi versus Mbappe, Messi's entire career, Messi's status as the the best ever, the drama factor, the save from Emmy Martinez, the fact that Argentina looked like they were going to do it and it was completely comfortable for them. And then football and Kylian Mbappe turning it on a dime in two minutes, scoring twice to just make this one of the best spectacles of a football match there's ever been for me. Completely. And this is like, I think quite often when we talk about football and tournaments and World Cups and the past, we always get caught up in what things mean, don't we, with football and and that it kind of means so much. But when you have a, a final like this and it plays out like it did, you can totally see why the planet loves this game, you know, and it's, it's the perfect spectacle to, to show the world what football is all about, isn't it? And as you just said there, you don't have to love football or know anything about football to appreciate what it was. And that was, I think, the the overriding factor. Like even my daughter, who uh, hates football, was like, that was a game of football, wasn't it, Dad? And I'm like, what? You know, I only have to mention Manchester United and, you know, you kind of get the kind of head thrown back and I'm not interested at all. But that's what it was about, is that this game kind of transcended that. And, of course, the narrative around Lionel Messi, you know, Mbappe scores a hat-trick and loses, penalty shootouts, moments of drama. It's always going to be remembered, I think, probably as the greatest World Cup final ever. It's certainly the the best World Cup final I can ever remember. Mm -hmm. Um, And normally, World Cup finals are a bit of a damp squib. Sometimes they, you know, there's too much pressure and teams play defensively what we saw here was a an electric game of football and people will talk about it and write about it till the end of time crazy absolutely crazy uh lisandro martinez winning the trophy i've seen images of him i don't know if you've seen this rob salt bay <laughs> have you seen salt bay that guy yeah have you seen him after this game, he's, he's he was in the mix with Argentina's players as they were celebrating with the trophy, and was pitched or was videoed alongside Lisandro Martinez, yeah. grabbing Leo Messi to get a pit, try and get a picture with him, and all this kind of stuff. And 
kind of grabs the the World Cup trophy off Lisandro Martinez and pours salt on it, but there's no, not even any any salt. Ah, oh, and you think like this game was so perfect. You see the scenes in Argentina, the the fans completely losing it. The commentator, the Argentine Argentinian commentator who was speaking over the penalty shootout, crying. You see all this emotion. Then you see that, you know, yeah. like it's mitts all over it, you know? It's like, what is he even doing in the mix zone? Like what, you know, like to get passes for stuff, uh, uh, FIFA affiliated matches is so difficult. Like it's such a horrible process of apply and wait and call back someone and all that. And how, so why is he there doing that? But I don't know. I think again, it might be a, that kind of modern side of the media, isn't it? Is that someone there, he's trying to get his Instagram moment, isn't he? And he would use that to market himself. He does have lots of football connections. You will see that he uh, he knows players and knows managers. So I think that's probably why he was there. But are we interested with him sprinkling his social media dust over a Premier League, over the World Cup trophy? No, thank you. What I do want to say, just at the end of what we were talking about there, about Varane being ill, was... It, that moment just before he got substituted where he collapsed and that was the I felt kind of proud of him yeah. that's all I can say like when he kind of fell over on his face and got up and you could see how much he'd given to get his team to where he had where, where he was and he was really ill before the game and played all those minutes and I was like come on Rafa come on back to Manchester you know, and uh, let's get you fit and get you ready for our games. Because I think if he gives that for Manchester United or anything like that level of commitment, can you imagine him and Martinez being that committed for Man United? I think we should be happy that we got those two centre-backs in our defence. Yeah, Lissandro didn't play in the final, but did play his part throughout the tournament. Yeah. Uh, but it's his I, trophy, Corns Bust. That's it. That's it. Like, of course. Of course. I, I, I spent some time yesterday actually looking back at those conversations at the start of the season where United had just lost 4-0 to Brentford and Lisandro Martinez can't play in the Premier League. He's too short. Just won the World Cup. <laughs> That's it. Carragher and Sunes and co. You know, he's just too small, is he now? Well, he's got a World Cup and you haven't. So it's one of those things again, isn't it? I think I think like everything with, with Martinez, he didn't play as many minutes as I thought he would. You know, kind of shocked that Otamendi played as many minutes as he did and played as well as he did as well at the same time. Um, but I think when you look at, uh, at Martinez, it, it is a kind of justification. You think about Manchester United paying that 50 million for him, his performances from then till now, and now he's got a World Cup in his pocket. So it was a bit like Paul Pogba, wasn't it, four years ago? Paul Pogba, lots of stick, I've got a World Cup. And that kind of continued for a bit. Let's hope Martinez doesn't need that World Cup to justify his place in Manchester United's team. Yeah, it remains to be seen, like I said at the top of the show, I think Argentina are doing their trophy presentation with fans in Argentina today. Mm. So by the time you listen to this, it might already be happening or already have happened. Uh, but I don't imagine he'll be back for a few days yet. I would imagine he'd probably be match fit. So I, d- I don't know whether they'll be ready for the 27th. I'm Both told them? seven days. So we've asked that question. So the, the players featuring in the World Cup final for Man United, there's not that many of them, you can work it out. Um, they have been they have been given an additional seven days off. So they will be, should be back. If you think about it now, it's the 20th as we're, as we're recording today. They might be back for the game, but I doubt they'll be ready for that first match. Though I would not be surprised to see them on the bench because they would have had a little bit of rest anyway between matches. And I think that they're at the top of their fitness anyway because they've been working out there in Qatar to be ready for matches. So uh, I think the transition should be pretty smooth. Uh, just... One thing before we move on. What about the mental transition for players? I mean, Casemiro's World Cup exit was pretty emotional, you'd think. England, you know, difficult one for them in a in a quarterfinal. Varane, obviously, you know, working that hard to, to lose. You know, it, it can't be easy for players. How, how easy will it be for them to kind of reintegrate and refocus on club football after such an emotional and mental commitment for that month? I actually think players in general find that going and playing for their international teams and coming back is almost a little bit of a break from the job. So I'm not saying that going to a World Cup is a holiday, not at all. But the the situations might be 
stressful in the moment in a match. But the general vibes around camps over that period is pretty good. You know, players go play golf. They go and do bits and pieces. They have downtime. There's a lot of uh, emphasis on rest and recuperation. So after a World Cup final, and we know that most of the players are obviously knocked out a week or two ago now. So they've, they've been on holiday and doing their bits and pieces. You know, you look at, say, someone like Varane losing a World Cup final. You just said, they're obviously, Casemiro going out, being disappointed with Brazil don't really think mentally it means too much like they'll be upset obviously they don't want to lose but they're professionals and they know that this is part of the game and I think coming back to Man United all of them you think about all the United players that went out there I can't really think of one where you think oh they had such a bad World Cup and a bad experience this night might now impact their form I think it's actually the other way around Harry Maguire who had almost no value to anyone before the World Cup and people were questioning whether he should even be in the squad, went to the World Cup, had a decent World Cup, not as good as some people have been saying. I've seen him in teams of the tournament, mm. but he might come back and now be useful for Man United. He might be, you know, he might find that his confidence has been blown up a little bit. So I'm always more worried, Scott, about the kind of little niggly injury. So like Delo got that little injury in the last game for Portugal. So we haven't heard anything about that yet. Uh, I don't know if that will impact him in the weeks ahead. They're always more important to me about whether they can hit the ground running. I think with this World Cup, players should still be physically fit and also kind of mentally okay, even if they've had a, a disappointing experience. You know, I don't think Rafa Varane is going to come back and be kind of crying into his cornflakes thinking about the World Cup. I think it's a professional. He'll be back at Carrington and working hard to do well for his football club. If anything, in Varane's case, he's had he, he was injured, obviously injured mm. at Chelsea. It looked like he might miss the tournament for a little while and now he's come back has six matches under his belt yeah I think, I think he might have missed the first game if I remember rightly but you know he's got that match practice back uh and it's a match fitness match fitness yeah really good like, I, I, I I'm always looking at stuff from a Man United perspective when I'm watching internationals I can't I can't pretend I don't and, I, and I'm always thinking you know it, you know what what's going to happen with this player now when he comes home like what can we do with him and all of the guys out there in his you know various teams like i think they said 20 were out there wasn't it 20 from the squad overall i think they all kind of did well and you know marcus rashford's come back i think now with uh renewed vigor and people are looking at him again i think as being viable whereas i think maybe before the tournament people were like again you know should he even be in the squad I think it's more questions around players who remain Scott. So like the Donny van der Beeks and the Jaden Sancho's, I think we'll be talking more about them in the next two, three, four weeks as we go ahead to see if they missed the World Cup, if that affected their form and their confidence more than actually going. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's move on to this question because we did say we wanted to do it. World Cup finished, transfer window opening. Plenty of links. If there's one player who played in the World Cup that you could sign realistically, Rob, who would you pick? It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think we're going to sign him. <laughs> I, I think I think the deal is on its way to being done with Cody Gakpo. So I, I think with Gakpo, he, he took the stage at the World Cup in Qatar and he used it and he used it correctly, didn't he? And he showed what he is. And I think his value is inflated because of that. I think Man United fans are very excited about him. But I think one player that we were linked with um, and have been linked with for a little while was a young player who, again, had a breakout tournament and was in the end named young player of the tournament. And that's Enzo Fernandez. So I remember uh, doing a show about him, I think, I think before the summer when we were talking more about transfers and people generally obviously didn't really know who he was. And people were like, oh, well, Argentinian international must be all right. Not seeing him play. I think what we are seeing now is he's developing into a really composed, exciting midfielder who can do so many different things in the middle of the park. Uh, for me, he was probably the breakout player of the tournament. I mean, that's an easy out, especially as he was a young player of the tournament. But I think he's the kind of player I think that Man United will be sniffing around if they're looking for a midfielder. Yeah, obviously there's links with uh, Jude Bellingham, which have surfaced again this week. Uh, Man United are obviously going to be interested in Jude Bellingham. Jude Bellingham... I can probably say it with 99% certainty is not going to join Manchester United this summer or in 2023. I think there's even a video uh, circling where a fan asked him if he'd be joining United and he pretty much laughed and said no. 
Uh, I haven't seen that footage, but I know it's been picked up. Have you seen it, Rob? Or I've seen I've seen a, a screenshot of the guy going up to him and talking to him. Um, but yeah, Cody, uh, Cody Gatman, sorry, uh, Jude Bellingham kind of said he was just asked outright, you know, you're going to join Man United and just laughed and said no and walked off. So it's kind of like, I think that's pretty conclusive. I don't think we have to go and ask any agents whether the player will be moving anytime soon to Man United. Yep. Uh, I, I did pick, actually, before the tournament started, uh, one, one or two players uh, that would be the breakout stars, and I picked Enzo Fernandez and Cody Gakpo. So yep. I'm pretty happy with that. I, I chose Brazil over Argentina to win it, but I knew it would be one of the two. So yeah. I, I, oh, I did say France would flop as well, which uh, they, they kind of did. They didn't play that well, but they obviously nearly won. Uh, but yes, nearly. some some close predictions I had. So I'm pretty happy with my uh, my preseason picks. Uh, another player who was a successful, who had a successful World Cup outside of Enzo. Fern- oh, do you want to do some more on Enzo Fernandez actually? Because I, let, let's do that because I think yeah. what we did see in the tournament was. He can play, he's your modern midfielder nowadays, right? So mm. he played for a, a time at the base of Argentina's midfield, which is probably not where most would have put him. Maybe you put him with somebody holding for him and he could do more of the stuff in the middle of the pitch rather than protecting the defense, but he can do both. And I think that is a very important uh, skill set and a very important trait for somebody that United should be going for in the future. Uh, his, I think he's, he's at Benfica and he joined in the summer, has had a lot of hype around him for a while, has a release clause in his contract, which is astronomical. I don't think he's going anywhere in January, but I think now there will be a lot of clubs looking at him over the next 18 months, maybe even over the next eight months, to go and pluck him out of Benfica after a season because of the, the quality he's shown at the World Cup. Yeah, he is. I, I think we talk about the modern player so much and about what does that mean. I think football fans sometimes get a bit exasperated about us talking about it in those terms. But he is very much your modern central midfielder. Someone who can play six, eight and even ten and do all those roles. But isn't really what you would describe as an old school box to box. You know, that's not really like he can do it and he will go box to box. But it's a little bit like Frankie de Jong, isn't it? Who, of course, we might mention in a minute. But I think the whole thing with these types of players is that they can give you technique deeper and you you find that, that you're seeing more technical players playing in defensive roles, but they're not defensive midfielders. It's another one of my gripes to talk about what is a defensive midfielder. Well, Casemiro is a defensive midfielder to a lot of people. But can he not do so many other things and be defensive in that moment? He can pick passes and he can get you going. And it's such an important part of the pitch. So I think it's undoubted that Enzo Fernandez will end up in the Premier League sometime soon. And we talk about valuations. You know, he's gone from being worth 18 to 20 million a blink ago to now being worth pushing 100 million. And I think this is why central midfielders now come at this big premium, you know, like Jude Bellingham. What's he worth then? You know, you would be talking 110, 120, 130 even. And I think that he will go for a huge valuation eventually. Um, but yeah, it, it, a good player, someone that would be definitely one for the future at Man United, but also one for the present. But would United pay that huge fee? Or would they rather just go and get someone like Frankie de Jong for a cheaper price? Because that's where we stand at the moment. Probably end up Frankie would be cheaper than Enzo Fernandez, which is not something we would have said two, three, four months ago. Yeah, I think the trick that United need uh, to find is buy them before Benfica, right? Yes. And do it that way. Rather buy than low, Benfica. sell high. It's yes. a kind of like, you know, and even it's not if something it... Man United are good at. Even if it comes to it, I'll take the Ronaldo example. There's a lot said about Ronaldo. Ronaldo was plucked from Sporting mm. for what, 12 million in 2003? Mm. Yeah. From Sporting at 18. And yes, he did end up leaving, but you see the trajectory of his career over that five, six year period. And you sell him for what was at the time a world record fee to a club he, he always wanted to play for. You know, and that won't happen. That doesn't necessarily have to happen with every player. But if you're Portuguese, generally, you probably want to end up playing for one of the big two in Spain, right? Yeah, and you don't you don't have to be a kind of again an inverted commas selling club to do it the right way. You know, you get your talent young, 
you work with them and then you see where you go like look at Man United now with someone like Garnacho. like Garnacho is a boy born in Madrid who now plays for Argentina and could have won a World Cup if he'd actually been picked in that provisional squad, which he was originally, could have gone out there and could have been a wild card for them. Um, but you take him, you develop him, don't you, at 18, and then you go with it. And if you win a load of trophies off the back of it and then sell them for a huge price, fine. That's the business of football, isn't it? So it's better doing that than, say, buying... Like, let's look at Jaden Sancho. Let's use him as a really good example of just current day. Jaden Sancho, not fancied by Pep Guardiola. City couldn't keep him, offered him a deal. He said no. He went to Dortmund, ripped it up there. Uh, an amazing talent, looked like a generational talent, going to be England's next big thing. Didn't even make the World Cup squad, struggling to get a Man United's team and cost you best part of 80 million and on big wages. It's probably not the right way of doing it. Every time you've got to have a bit of a mix, Scott, I, I, th I think that's why someone like Enzo Fernandez, if you had picked him up for 20 million in the summer or around that price before Benfica took him, what an amazing bit of business that would have been. Cause you could have then developed him. You could have actually done it slowly, brought him in and out of the team as a young player. Um, that's the way United scouting and recruitment should look in the years to come. And I think it probably will. Cause that is the Ten Hag way. Ten Hag likes to find the diamonds in the rough give them a good buffer and shine them up and get them to be where they are. Look at Martinez. We bought him for 50, 50 million. But if Martinez becomes this cult hero and something more for United and wins trophies, 50 million is nothing, isn't it? But you mm. could have probably got him when he was 20 million, you know, going back over time. So United need to look in other markets. I'm always a big advocate of that. But they don't. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't come in with that shiny, amazing commercial reputation when they're young. <laughs> That's the problem. And, 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 and I think this is, you know, there's a lot about ownership at the moment. And there's no doubt we will be talking about that so much in the weeks ahead. But the ownership needs to reflect that, that this is not just a commercial operation. This is not just who can sell shirts, because what happens is you end up with Ronaldo. Yeah. Or you end up with someone who's aging that can't give you everything you need. So you need to look at youth. You need to promote youth. You've got some really good young players. So maybe stick with them and push them forward rather than making the next signing that won't be in your team. Someone said to me about uh, about uh, Vardio and obviously about the, the, the potential, uh, uh, potential maybe signing a player like that and saying, oh, but depth, you want depth. You don't want depth at 100 million. You don't buy players for depth at 100 million. So if you buy Enzo Fernandez, you better be sure at 100 million he's going to start every game. But that's not even assured at the moment, is it? Like you'd look at him in our team and you think, yeah, he's a great young player, but you've got to go and hunt the market. Go find players that can help you, but do it at the right price. Chelsea are the team that I think are starting to do that at the moment, even if their transfer policy seems a little bit all over the place. One thing you can tell, I think they're close to signing Datro Fafana, David Datro Fafana from, from Mould, you know, this type of player who can yeah. probably go on to develop. They're looking at Yusufa Mukoko. You know, I'd have been linked with him as well, actually, uh, from Dortmund going free as it stands in six months. Uh, there's other players as well. Carney Chukwemeka from Aston Villa, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, the lad that they plucked from Inter, Cassaday. There's a, there's a ton of them. That's what United should be looking to do, you know? And that's, yeah, that's why you have Graham Potter, because you have a manager who is emphasizing scouting, you know, let's have a wide net and cast it far and wide and look at everything. And that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be tunnel vision. Like that was always my my big 
criticisms of someone like Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho would have like three players he wanted and that was it. And the world would end if he didn't get those three players and he would get upset. So you've got to kind of cast that wide and look at other players. And I think that's what Ten Hag is. So I think that's a positive from our standpoint because he Ten Hag is very much like a Graham Potter. You know, he's that kind of manager. He'll go and scout players and he won't take a player, Scott, that he doesn't want. And I think that's also positive. We've seen that the, the transfers into the football club this summer, by and large, have been successful, haven't they? Because they are players that the manager scouted and that he personally wants. That's really important when it comes forward now for transfers from Man United. Two more transfers. Uh, let's do uh, let's do the Cody Gakpo one first. Uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Manchester United legend. Rude. Yeah, is he a Man United legend? Yeah, he's a legend. He scored enough goals to be a legend. Yeah, he did. Uh, left in not not the greatest circumstances, but scored a bag full of goals. Uh, he is now uh, obviously the manager at PSV and has spoken in the last couple of days on Cody Gakpo, who plays for PSV and is Manchester United's seemingly prime target at the moment. Eric Ten Hag wants him. He said, if I have the choice, I prefer to sell him in the summer. But it can also be now. You just know there comes a time when you can't say no. You know, that there is, I think he's pretty right on that. For me, there is interest from United's side, strong interest. I think Eric Ten Hag wants him and sees how he can fit into this team. I'm not 100% convinced, but who am I to tell Eric Ten Hag what to, what to do or whatever? If Eric Ten Hag knows this player very well and knows how he can exactly integrate into the team, go for it. You know, and I think it's just about whether the price is right. I think if this one does come off, it'll probably be in the region of 40 to 45 million quid, uh, even though PSV might be looking for more off the back of his World Cup performances. We've done this Cody Gakpo chat a number of times. Anything to add, Rob? I, I just think the Ruud van Nistelrooy point there is quite important because obviously he's a manager of PSV and uh, and former Man United player. And you've only got to remember his story coming to Man United was that he was prepared to come to United, that deal was done and he got a terrible injury and was out for a year. So I think that players and managers all know that you're only one injury away from your dreams being shattered. And luckily for Rude, Sir Alex Ferguson stuck to his promise that he would come back for him and he did. And he came to the football club and was a massive success at Man United. So I think with Cody Gakpo, there's a lot of, yeah, let's wait and see. Maybe let's wait till the summer. But what if you get a bad injury in the next two or three months? Suddenly that dream move in the summer is dead. It's not happening. It's 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 off the table. Uh, his time is now. And I think PSV know that. They know they're going to cash in. They're going to make a real optimum number on him, you know, from a player that they brought into their football club and have developed. Um, and like you just say, no, you're not sure. I, I'll go. I'm going the other way. I am sure. I, I think he's exactly the kind of player you need because, we, again, we talk about modern players and, yes, you do need a number nine and, yes, you do need a striker and that will be addressed in the next six months or something like that. But there are no strikers on the market really at the moment that you look at and go, yeah, I like him. And we just talked there last week about João Felix and that type of play and how much money that would cost and that the risks and all of that involved. I don't think Gakpo is a risk. I think he would work in your rotation so well in the same way that Anthony's worked really well. Anthony's come to the club, hasn't he? And just kind of fitted in because he fits into what the manager wants to do. And I think that Ten Hag's identified Gakpo as being that threat from the left or playing him through the middle or playing him as a 10. So if you can play him in three positions, Scott, out of your front four and you're playing maybe a 4-1-5 in the press, happy days. You can play him in multiple roles. And I think there's no way he'll be successful scoring the ball like he does for PSV. Like, let's be honest, he's not going to get 20 goals and 20 assists like Jaden Sancho can tell you that story just for starters. But I do think Gakpo pushes the needle and helps that evolution of the attack. Yes, indeed. Let's go to the other end of the pitch. Uh, United have been linked today with uh, Croatia goalkeeper Dominic Livakovic, who is... Mm. Uh, these are reports, I believe, from Croatia. So he's been playing for Dynamo Zagreb for a number of years. Never had that move. Uh, he's been at, Cro at tournaments with Croatia before and, you know, his reputation is up. Uh, was probably going to be in the team of the tournament for the World Cup, given his exploits for Croatia and his penalty ability before Emi Martinez ended up making a save in the 120th minute and winning another penalty shootout. I think, you know, that one's probably justified and right. But... 
Livakovic is Croatia's number one and coming from Dynamo Zagreb. I think a price has been attached to him, 15 million euros. United, one of a number of clubs who've been linked with him, Bayern Munich have to find somebody to replace Manuel Neuer for the next six months because he was he went skiing and broke his leg, uh, which is... What are you doing going skiing mid-season? Oh. Crazy. But, uh... I actually think it's in their contracts that they can't do that. I know that you've got health and safety protocol and contracts that say you cannot do these sports, you cannot ride a motorcycle, you cannot go you know, skydiving, you cannot go skiing. So that when I heard that the other day, I was a bit like, because, Crazy. but it does happen, doesn't it? Like people do drop a jar of pickles on their foot and then miss a World Cup final. Was that Canizares? Like uh, and um, was that Canizares, right? I think it was Canizares. It's yeah. it has happened before. People have done that before. But but you know, don't go skiing. You know, like in the middle of a season. I think uh, if I if I ran by Munich, I'd be very very upset about that one. Yeah, you're not uh, United linked with Livakovic as long along with Bayern. Uh, there's probably some other clubs who uh, who fancy this as well. Cut price deal, 15 million euros. United looking well, they have decision to make in gold, don't they? Where where do you what do you think of this one? Because for me, good cut price, but I I wouldn't feel ultra confident of him being number one. No, not number one. And I think that, again, like all of the kind of major positions on the football pitch now, you've got to probably pay a premium to get the best. So you could take a punt on a player like this at 15 million. And yeah, he's done well at the World Cup. But, you know, we say the World Cup is a really bad stage to kind of make judgments on all players, especially players who are emerging because they might have two or three or four really good games. He's not emerging. He's 27. So he's not he's not particularly young. But if you're looking at a long-term replacement for David De Gea, they've got to be right. They've got to be perfect. They've got to be that sweeper-keeper. They've got to be able to shot-stop. They've got to do all loads of different things. Uh, yeah, would you bring him in as a £15 million piece, as a rotation, you know, as your number two or something like that? Yeah, potentially. That's the kind of price you should be paying. But I think if you're going to get a number one, you just said there about Martinez, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of talk about him now, especially if his former Aston Villa is good to the rest of the season, that the big clubs will be sniffing around him simply because he's got this grounding in English football, like this mad grounding as a kid all the way through. He's pretty much English, you know. England wanted him to play for the Free Lions. Oh, before I remember he, that. Oh, yeah, wow. they, they, they inquired about his passport details because he, he fell under that remit of, being in a country long enough to play for the play for England and it didn't work out, you know, obviously went ended up playing for Argentina. Um, but is he any better than the Pickford type player? I don't know, Martinez. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I don't think I'd have him as England number one anyway. So, uh, you know, good, great goalkeeper. But I think when you look at the, these, these two, I think they, there's a the kind of players that United will look at, but not quite sure they're the perfect fit. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, United have decisions to make in goal in 2023. We've touched on that plenty of times. David De Gea out of contract as it stands. Whether a new one is coming, me and Rob are not so convinced. There is an option to extend his deal uh, by a year, but he is also, I think, United's highest earner as it stands. So do you trigger that option? Probably not. What happens? Probably not, but that option might happen simply because... Like we just said there, Ten Hag will not buy players he doesn't want. And that counts for goalkeepers. So if he doesn't get the goalkeeper he wants, he does seem to like David De Gea. Since De Gea is a dressing room leader and that De Gea has more strengths than he has weaknesses. We all highlight the weaknesses, don't we? But we've just said that. We saw uh, Simon and goal for Spain and we all went, well, De Gea is better than him. De Gea might have kept Spain in that tournament. You know, you might have done, wouldn't he? So it, we can talk about what we want from a modern goalkeeper again. Fans hate it, but it's true. De Gea might end up staying at United a bit longer, but I also think it might well be a gentleman's agreement to allow him to leave at the end of the season if there's a good offer for him in terms of for himself personally and on the wages. And if Man United can shift that £360,000 a week that he earns off the wage bill, it means you can go and do more business yourself. Yeah, let's... Uh, two more sections. Let's move on. We have... Rob, I've missed this completely, but it is doing the rounds. The only thing I've seen is Ander Herrera calling Jose Mourinho a S house uh, in an affectionate way. And Ander Herrera was an S house in his own right as well. Indeed. Has done an interview with MUTV. I've not actually, I know it's happened, but I have not watched it. 
uh, and I have seen very, very little of it. So you've seen more than I have, and you wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I just think it's obviously been a big talking point this this last week. A lot more got released yesterday from the club around the podcast that he did. Uh, and just, just general chat. And these United podcasts on MUTV are actually becoming quite interesting. I've criticised them in the past of being quite dull and boring. And this one was done in, in Bilbao at the stadium with him. And he talked candidly about his time at Man United. Uh, I always think of Ander Herrera as much as a... As a as a kind of cult hero that he was and still is at Man United, that wasn't quite the player that people kind of make out. He wasn't really the perfect midfielder for United, certainly off the back end of the Mourinho period. Um, he talked about every manager at United he played for and about Ole. He actually talked about Ole and said that, um, that Ole didn't get any of the credit he deserved, that Ole Gonzalez was a much better coach, much better manager than anyone remembers him as he said, and, and he said he was kind of keen to stay to play for him. But with a bit we want to talk about, obviously, is the is the tears. Is that he, he you know he kind of cried his eyes out when he talked about he was asked if he was emotional to leave Man United and then just burst into tears on camera. Um, but just a, a kind of a moment I see where he's endearing to Man United fans. United fans do love him, uh, and I think he's always going to be one of those players, a bit like Patrice Evra, that, that kind of like talks about his love for the club outwardly. It's always going to be appreciated for that. Yeah, I have. I'll, I'll go and check that out, Rob. And if you haven't as well, uh, it seems like it is worth checking out. Uh, and Herrera was obviously when he departed and when he went for free, it was kind of a, oh, United have let another one go. You know, they, yeah. this is at the peak of United's awful decision-making, wasn't it? I think Ander Herrera was... Everyone remembers that game where he followed Eden Hazard around, right? Yeah. And didn't give him a didn't give him a bit, uh, even a tiny bit. Uh, and I think Herrera is probably held up in a, in in more esteem because he was the one player who had that passion, drive, and desire and fight. But he was probably only one of a select few players in that team in that era who showed the commitment to the shirt that every United fan wants to see from their players. Totally. And he always talked a good game as well. You know, he always talked about what it meant to play for Man United. And even in this uh, in this podcast that he's done, uh, he talks about he, he will he will never say a bad word about Man United because the appreciation that he feels, the gratitude that he wore that shirt and that badge means more to him than anything else. And obviously it did then a few minutes later when he was crying his eyes out, it showed that. But you're right, because I think when you go back to that period and look, only even in recent times, isn't it, the kind of lack of of uh, steel, let's say, in personality of some of the players that we've had at our football club. And Herrera always had, I think, that that mentality to go out there and do his job. I just think he probably wasn't as talented as we'd hoped. Like when we signed him and Van Gaal signed him, I thought he was the answer to our midfield problems. I really did see a fair bit of him for Bilbao, um, covering La Liga and seeing that, that you know, he, he really had great attributes going forward you know I saw him more as a kind of 8-10 type player and then over time at Man United he became a kind of de facto number six gone wrong didn't he wasn't really a defensive player was he so I, I don't know I think with Ander Herrera I when he left the football club I was okay with it that's the bit I remember and the reason why I was okay is that I think United did the right thing not to give him a big contract straight away because United have done that for years giving two bigger contracts out and Ander Herrera wasn't really in the starting eleven, not really. So he was on 115 grand a week at Man United when he was there, and PSG offered him 155. Deal done. Where what are you going to do? You're going to go to Paris, aren't you, to go and play for that team with Neymar, who's competing for the Champions League, aren't you? And Man United, who are failing. So again, this is why I think there's some revisionism in this with Herrera. Is that he went to kind of further his career? It wasn't that Man United binned him, and Man United did give him a contract offer with a year to go and he refused it because he said in the podcast I didn't think that they came at the right time they should have offered it to me before and he also then kind of said and also my agent didn't think that that's what he said I laughed mm. <laughs> because I did I, as far as we were aware at the time it was a very agent driven deal the agent spoken to PSG and Man United didn't like that Man United were like we don't like this that your agent is shopping you and you're under contract so um yeah Cult hero, always will be remembered well, but I think there is a, a tad bit of revised facts in the whole story. Facts, yep. Uh, facts are that United play Burnley tomorrow and we'll round off the show, Rob, with uh, a small preview to this because I haven't got a 
I haven't got a clue really who's going to be taking the field here. I can do some, I can make some presumptions and some guesses, but at the end of the day, Eric Ten Hag knows who he's going to pick. I would imagine it's probably going to look a little bit like the squad that took part in those uh, mid-season friendlies with a couple of added senior additions who've come back from the World Cup a little bit early uh, to, I would think, if David De Gea is there, I would not shock me at all to see him start because uh, he's had the whole month off and just getting back into match action, you know, uh, with uh, more games coming up next week, the the proper important games. Although this is an important game as well in the context, Robin, because you know, I need to win a trophy. I was just about to say that this manager has shown since he's been at United that he really does prioritise these things. So like again, where I might say, oh, I'm not that bothered about the League Cup and I'm really not. I think Eric Ten Hag is. He sees all of these competitions, especially the cup competitions, as opportunities. And he's been picking his teams around that. So I think we'll see a strong team. There's no doubt it will be a collection of the Andalusia Reds. That's exactly what it will be. The team players that went on tour to Andalusia and played in Cadiz and played in Betis. It will be a mix of the senior players from that squad, uh, maybe one or two from the World Cup. But I think it's going to be more a case of the players that he knows have got their fitness up to scratch. He will go with because he can pick a good team from that. And I think it will be the likes of De Gea. It will be those guys that haven't played competitively over that period during the tournament. So uh, I think he's going to put out a really strong team and he'll be putting out a team to really beat Burnley. This is not going to be a kind of let's see what happens game. He's going to be playing this game to win it and to kind of bury Burnley as early as possible. So this is just in case you're completely out of the loop with club football. This is a last 16 tie in the EFL Cup. Hmm. And Man City play Liverpool on Thursday night. United so one play, of them's gone. One of them's going to go. Yeah. And then you look at the rest of the teams and you have Leicester City away at MK Dons on Tuesday. Yeah. Newcastle at home to Bournemouth. Fair play, big threat. But every other team, you'd think United should beat. Uh, outside of, you know, Liverpool or City, whoever gets through will probably be favourites, maybe just ahead of United, but why not? This is a this is a trophy that United can win. You have an opportunity, and this is the whole thing. I think in in times of of need, of where you are, you know, Eric Ten Hag, he's not going to win the Premier League this year, is he? You know, he might do in future years. He's not probably going to win one of the the major competitions. But you then got to just look down the pecking order at the FA Cup and at the League Cup, and it's an opportunity, especially where you are in the League Cup. And you're playing Burnley, aren't you, at home? So, you know, go and do the job. And I, and I think that we've seen much less rotation from Ten Hag over the period since he arrived from Ajax than I ever thought he would. I think we'd, I thought we'd see more and we've actually seen less. So I think he'll stick with that. I don't think we'll see anything different. I think United will play 4-5-1, uh, 4-1-5. I think they'll push high up the pitch. I think they'll do all the things that they've been trying to establish for the last few months. And you can predict what Eric Ten Hag does because that's what he does. You know, he he'll, he might make one or two changes, but you look at the the the, the team. The, we're now in a post Ronaldo situation, aren't we? So this is going to be Anthony Martial's team. Yeah, this is the way I was saying this the other day. We we're talking about fantasy league tips for people the other day. And he's in mine. And, and you look at that at six point seven million in fantasy league. You know, but in the real terms, we're talking about real football. Anthony Martial is going to be the starting number nine for Man United, probably rotated with the likes of maybe Gakpo, if he arrives, and obviously Marcus Rashford. So you've actually got three really good players there that you can rotate in the centre of the park. And I think this will be game one for Martial. You've got to keep him fit. But if he goes and scores a hat-trick against Burnley or plays really, really well, I think that that's a good starting point, isn't it, to get back into the Premier League. You know, you've got your striker ready. You can build around him, bring back all the World Cup boys nice and slowly. Or if you want, there's a few of them that are ready now. The England boys who've been out the tournament, the players that were out in the group stages. You've got all that at your disposal. You can put a really good team out and kind of hit the ground running in the Premier League. That's what's really important now, Scott. You can't think that you've got a pre-season now of the next month to get players fit. You've got to get them going and you've got to start winning matches. Yeah. United, one of the teams who have had the most players at the World Cup in world football, actually. Uh, they had a lot of players who, who've taken part, a lot of players who have played. You have mm. other teams in the Premier League who haven't had that many players actually go, have had time to work with their managers, recuperate from injury. 
But at the same time, that's not competitive match practice like no. some of these players that have been at the World Cup. So it's a double-edged sword. It can work in some teams' favour if their players haven't gone. But totally. you look on the other, other side of the coin and they haven't had that competitive edge. It might take them a few games to get that back. Completely. And, and, and then on the flip side of it, we are just saying this kind of like post-Ronaldo uh, uh, realisation, is I actually do think like someone at the World Cup who played really, really well was Bruno Fernandes. Mm-hmm. So I doubted Bruno going into that team because he's never really played great for Portugal and yet played in a more advanced role for Portugal and showed what he can do when he's not kind of being asked to be a number six or playing deeper. So I take that, Scott, as a huge positive for Man United, because I think that when he gets back to Old Trafford, he'll feel pretty good about himself. And maybe he can re reestablish himself as that leader that he was maybe 12 months ago or 18 months ago, where we had more expectations about his, his delivery and his service. You know, he's still got all the numbers, but I think he can come back and hit the ground running for Man United and be a major piece of this team now. He still is, of course. You know, he's not he's not fallen away that, but we've criticised him, haven't we, about his performances. Uh, but a lot of those guys from the World Cup, you know, they might not have won the World Cup or got to where they wanted to be. There's so many of them, I think, out of that 20 that went who've had good tournaments are now going to be ready to hit the ground running at club football. Absolutely. Uh, yes, so club football's back. <laughs> the World Cup's just finished. Uh, get ready, everyone. I, I need to try. I need to try myself and get back. Get that in. World Cup hangover off Scott now. Yeah, let's. Uh, club, I, club I'll watch this, on. Rob. I'm going to watch this game, watch it on the telly, and I'm going to be like, no problems here. Let's have a nice, comfortable win where I can just ease back in to club football. And then after Christmas, when United play Forest, then it ramps up again for me. But well, that's it. If we if we get knocked out of the League Cup, we'll be on the podcast here the following day with uh, with uh, tears in our eyes talking about what comes next. But I do think that this is a nice little game for everyone to get back into Manchester United business. Um, and, it, and it's interesting, you know, it's not an easy match. It really isn't. I think this Burnley team have got a little bit more to them than maybe even the Burnley team that was in the Premier League under Sean Dyche, you know, where you knew what you were going to get. You know, they were pretty direct and you knew how they played and they were going to be physical. Um but it could be a breakout night for one of our younger players. Again, I think Garnacho will probably start this game. Uh, and if he plays well, you know, we talk about Gakpo coming on the left. You've got this guy called Garnacho playing on the left. You know, is he going to be uh, really competitive now for the rest of the season on that side of the pitch? I think he will be. Yes, indeed. We await Man United versus Burnley. Uh, we'll be back after that game uh, with a reflection and a look ahead to the Forest game. The return of Jesse Lingard to Old Trafford if he plays. Uh, <laughs> you know, just after Christmas. But yeah, uh, we'll do one show before Christmas and then we'll do one show next week as well, I believe, uh, to unpack that Forest game and look ahead to the New Year's fixtures. And uh, yeah, Rob, thanks again for another great show. This has been the Promised Land podcast. You can subscribe wherever you get them, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes, and watch us on YouTube as well over on our YouTube channel, the Promised Land and Manchester United podcast. So get over there, subscribe if you haven't already, leave a comment, join the community with us too, and follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU. Cheers, Rob. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.